Y'all can go ahead and take a seat. What an amazing thing to tell the Lord again this morning that you can have my heart. As a reminder to ourselves, right? Uh, and as an offering once again to him to, to fully surrender, to fully surrender unto him. You know, one of the reasons I think the Lord allows us to gather together and to worship is because in an environment like, like this and remembering who Jesus is and being with other believers reminds us that God is worth surrendering to. Right? I'm reminded of how big and how wonderful he is, that the weak might have beaten me up and things might be difficult, but God is worth my heart. He's worth surrendering myself to. He's worth my trust and my love. And I hope many of you are encouraged in that this morning. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bible and go ahead and turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Next week, we're going to start our series in Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Okay, y'all need to practice. Go home and practice saying Habakkuk, okay? Some people say Habakkuk. I don't care. Just, you know, choose one of those. All right, Habakkuk. Next week, we're going to start that. Uh, it's called A Conversation with God in the Midst of a Personal and National Crisis. And so uh, that's super relevant to our current situation. Uh, the Bible is always relevant. So I'm excited to jump into that with you guys next week. Invite your friends. Invite people who don't know the Lord at all. This is going to help us think through, man, what does it look like? Like if I could talk to God, you know, and he talked back to me, which I can't obviously, but if I had, had that kind of clarity that comes from his word, what would God say right now? And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. It's going to be really, really uh, great for the next six weeks after that. So invite your friends. Uh, also, I want to invite many of you. Um, there's some amazing things happening in City Light Kids. We send them down there every time. Man, the Lord's just opening the doors. It's been great to be able to do that again in the last few weeks to renew that. And God's been doing some amazing things to raise up the next generation, and I'm so excited about that. I want to invite all of you and many of you to the privilege of helping us shepherd these little children, helping us love them and teach them the word of God. And so if you're interested or available to be able to join us, uh, to be able to serve in City Light Kids, please meet us at the welcome table afterward. Let me know. Let Val know if you know her. And we would love to have you participate in that with us. Now today, I am super excited. I have a couple reasons. The, the first reason is that today is my and my wife's 11th anniversary today. All right? So yeah. My wife would hate that I brought any attention to that whatsoever, but um, I'm excited about that today. Uh, super thankful for what God has, has given me an amazing wife. I want to honor her publicly and say she's the very best thing next to God in the universe, uh, and I'm super thankful for her. She's amazing. Uh, we're celebrating 11 years today, and last week we went, um, I'm preaching today because we already celebrated, all right? So y'all don't be like, Nate, shouldn't you be with her? Okay, we, we, we celebrate already. Um, you know with kids, you pick the right day that works depending on your kid's situation. So uh, the recently we went um, to a hotel, we were hanging out, and uh, this is in the city, okay, so we, we, go, we get away to celebrate. I walk into the hotel room, this is no lie, the security guard of the hotel in the middle of D.C. was wearing a city light mask. This is a true story, yeah, yeah. It was really funny, really. I was like looking through the window, because the, the, the guy was checking us in, right, and everything's all like, you know. All the window, all the stuff they put in between you and the people. And uh, he was on the other side behind him, so I couldn't, like, be next to him. But I was like, what? Like, that a, am I reading it? Nope, that's a city light mask. And I had mine on, so I'm, like, pointing at him, pointing at myself, like, look at this, you know, where's that? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, city light, where, where did you get that, you know? 
seems like a friend gave it to me, you know. What's his name? His name's Luis. Pastor Luis? No, not Pastor, no. And I'm like trying to figure out what's happening. You know, I'm like, have you ever been to City Light? He's like, no. I'm like, well, you should come. You're wearing our mask, you know. This is great. And so uh, just so you know, hey, this word's getting out one way or another. Uh, wear your mask, wear your T-shirt. Hey, the Lord does these amazing things. So uh, his name was Gary. I'm pretty sure that was his name, if I remember right. So pray for him right now. Uh, what a fun. That was just really, uh, it was fun for me as a pastor. Be like, what in the world? And in the middle of the city. So uh, God is filling the city uh, with the truth of Jesus and the message through City Light. The second thing I'm excited about today is just to be able to talk um, since we ended 2 Timothy last week. We're starting Habakkuk next week. We're kind of in the middle right now with today. And I wanted to take today uh, to remind us of what we're doing here and to talk about some exciting things that are happening at City Light. Uh, really excited about what the Lord is doing, and I want to share some opportunities with you today. But I also wanted to encourage you, based off that, as to how do we continue to move forward to watch God work in our life and what does it look like for you and I to be participants in the miracles God wants to do? Today we're going to talk about Jesus turning water into wine from John 2, 1 through 11. And this is going to hopefully help you both your personal life and it's going to help us move forward together as a church. Because so many of you already, are you walked in this room and like, I need Jesus to turn some water into some wine right now. Some of you walked in, you're like, I need something. I need Jesus to show up. I need him to do something I cannot do, to turn water into wine. I need Jesus to do something in my home, in my heart, in my life, in my community, in my city. These are things that I cannot do. And what I want to encourage you with today is what does it look like when Jesus shows up and does a miracle? And what is our part in that? How does that transform your life personally? How does that help you in your struggles right now? And how does that send City Light into mission to make a difference in the world around us? This truth from this text is going to cover all those things, both for you, for your house, for our neighborhood, and for this city. So won't you read it with me, John 2, 1 through 11. He says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, which is not how you should talk to your mom, right? But he must be, he's Jesus, so it must have been the right way to say it. Woman, can you imagine saying that to your mom? She'd be like, yo, clean the dishes. Woman, you know, let's not, don't do that, all right? But Jesus said, you know, this was appropriate. Uh, woman, what does this have to do with me? He's like, I ain't the host of this party. They don't have wine. Whose fault? That's not my problem, you know? It's not my problem. My hour has not yet come, he says. Get this. His mother completely ignores him. Verse 5. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. This is hilarious. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine... And did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water new. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine till now. Verse 11, this, the first, sign of his, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And here are some important words. He manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Today's message, you want to write this down, it's called the moments of a miracle. The moments of a miracle. 
The reason why that's significant is there's so much more to this story than the one moment where Jesus turns water into wine. There's a whole story here. There are moments in the miracle. And you're going to see today that there are moments in your life that work up to, work from, and work in the very supernatural thing you want God to do. And some of you are in different moments of that. There are moments to every miracle. You know, I was, uh, the other day, I was thinking about this because I was outside at my house and playing with my kids, and this, this, this kid walks up, I think he was like 16, something like that, 15, 16. And uh, he comes up to my house, and he's like, hey, excuse me. I'm like, hi, you know. Uh, and he says, can you, can you uh, fix my bike? My tire has blown out. I'm like, I mean, I, can, I might have a pump, you know. I ain't no handyman, but I might have a pump. So I got my pump, I go out there to his bike. It's not working. I'm like, I, I don't know, man. I don't think I can fix it. I don't think it's working. And I asked where he lived, and he said that he lived like 15 minutes down the way. And I was like, all right, man, you know what? Like, I just get in the car. I'll take you to your house if you can't get home. I don't know how to fix it, but my car works. I can get you in your car, and you can get home. So he was like, all right, dude, sure. And uh, which is totally like a 16-year-old. He never met me in my life. And uh, he's like, sure, I'll get in your car. Go wherever you take me. Um, obviously, I had good intentions, but he wouldn't know that. So uh, he gets in my car. This is hilarious. He looks at me, like 16, you know. First thing he asked me is, do you know anything about women? I was like, well, I'm married to one, so I might know a few things, you know. He's like, oh, good, good, good. And then he just, like, unloads all his girl problems, like, on me immediately, like we've been best friends forever, you know. The reason why he was stuck in the middle of the street with his bike was because he had rode his bike to see his girlfriend. They got in a fight, and she kicked him out. And so now he's trying to ride his bike after getting kicked out from his girlfriend all the way back home, you know. And so his bike breaks down right in front of my house, all right. What are the odds? So he gets in my car. He's unloading all this stuff. What do you do with this, that, and that, you know. And he's 16 and obviously not a Christian. And so he's just doing what 16-year-olds who aren't Christians, this is what they do. And so now uh, he's sharing to me all his experiences. And I'm like, okay, okay, listening, listening. Eventually I'm like, me, when am I going to flip the script on this to be like, the reason why you're having all these problems is because you're not doing things God's way. This is the simplest explanation. Um, so eventually I tell them, like, we're like, you know, I, I hear you, I hear your problems, I get it. Let me show you how the reason you're going to have these problems and keep having these problems if you don't live according to God's way, uh, it's just going to keep being like this. So I explained that to him. And he was very, he was very receptive for a 16-year-old kid. He's listening to me. <clears throat> eventually I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor. Uh, uh, and he's like, you're a pastor? He's like, I ain't never met no pastor. He was like, I thought you were a swim coach. I was like, what? <laughs> what? You thought I was a swim girl? I didn't talk about swimming one second. He just looked at me and what I was wearing. Probably had to do with what I looked like. He thought I was a swim coach. I was like, that's the most insulting thing you ever. There's nothing wrong with being a swim coach, but I'm not a swim coach. I look like a swim coach. I'm like, get out of the car. Get out of the car. No. So he looks at me and says, I thought you were a swim coach. I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, cool, man, cool. So then we keep talking, and uh, he's like, now he's like super into this conversation. That's really random, a 15-minute drive. He's like locked in. Like, I'm trying to share the gospel and explain, like, God's way 
works. Your way does not work, all right? So let's, and so this is what Jesus did. He died, he rose again so that you could be saved and so that you still will have problems and struggles, but now when you begin to take God's way, your life's going to make sense. Um, and it's going to have purpose and fulfillment, all these things in that. I was like, yeah, man, so can I learn more about this, you know? And so I, I, we share the gospel, we pray together. I give him a little copy of, uh, I think I had a track and a copy of John in, my, in my, my, my car. So I give that to him, and then he texts me the next morning, and then he starts texting me about these things, you know? And that's kind of where we're at now is me and this dude that I met on the side of my street who thinks I'm a swim coach are uh, texting about the gospel. And as I was thinking about this sermon, and as I was thinking about that story, I, I began to think about how many moments were involved in God orchestrating that event. How many moments were involved for him to, to go drive to his thing, for him to have the fight, for the thing to get broke, bike to get broken right in front of my house, for him to get in my car, uh, for him to open up in that conversation, for the gospel to be revealed, for him to be sensitive to that, and for him to want to learn more. There's a miracle of a life change happening in that, but it's full of moments. It's full of moments. And what I want you to see is the same thing, that God is working something out to do some amazing things in your life and in this church, but it's full of moments. And you don't quite know when the supernatural miracle of a life change or a heart change or whatever may happen. So let me look at the first thing here. So we're going to talk about moments of a miracle. So when does the miracle begin? Let me say something. This is obvious but you might not have been thinking about it this way. Every miracle starts with a problem. Every miracle starts with a problem. We love the amazing things that Jesus did, but every time he did something like that, it started with a problem. Man, some of y'all already need to be saying amen to say, I walked in here with a problem. I walked in here with an insurmountable wall in front of me. I walked in here with a mountain to move. I walked in here with a problem. And God looks at you and says, well, that's where the miracle begins. Every miracle, name one in the Bible that doesn't start with a problem. It starts with a problem. Y'all hear me now. There is no resurrection without a death. You know that, right? God cannot repair what is not broken. Do you hear me? God cannot redeem that which is not lost. Do you hear me? It has to start there. In the brokenness, now God steps in and reveals his power. This is the moment, one of the moments of the miracle. And so for us to look at the things we're talking about now, the things in your life, to say right now I'm experiencing brokenness, and God says, good, because that's when I show up to repair. Without the brokenness, there would be no reparation. Without my sin, there would be no forgiveness. And I experienced these things from God by his mercy and grace in the midst of my problem. And so when I'm looking at my circumstances in life, I don't know how God's going to work it out. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I do know that within every time God steps in and does something supernatural and amazing that manifests his glory, it always started with a problem. It always started with a problem. This is so significant for you and I today that God cannot repair that which is not broken. He will not provide where there is no lack. It always starts there. The first moment of a miracle is a problem. Secondly, you see what, what she does here, his mom. The second moment, we call a moment of faith. So where does the miracle begin? With a problem. But what continues it? There's a moment of faith. Look at Jesus' mom who is playing no games with her son. 
she's like, hey, the wine's out. He's like, what does it have to do with me? She ignores that, and she's like, do whatever he tells you to do. Apparently, Mary has seen Jesus do something before. The Bible says this is the first of his signs that manifested his glory. But now the assumption is that Mary knew something the rest of the world did not know. She was like, oh, you have no wine? No problem. My son is here, you know, and I'm so proud. Do whatever he tells you to do. We talked about this last week, so we're not going to touch on it completely. But remember last week, when you remember God's faithfulness in the past, you have confidence to face your future. And so Mary remembers things Jesus has done, and that gives her the confidence of what he will do. She looks back. Write this down. Answer this question. Write it down. Think about it. What have you seen God do that gives you faith to deal with the problem before you? What have you seen God do, looking back, that gives you faith now to deal with the problem in front of you? Because Mary's not going off just some random blind faith. Mary's remembering, whoo, Jesus does these kind of things. I've seen him do it. And so right now I'm confronted with this problem. And she looks at Jesus and says, I have faith. I have faith that you can move this mountain, faith that you can fix this problem, faith that you will reveal your glory, faith that you will do what needs to be done, faith. The faith is based off something Mary has seen before, and anybody in this room who's been walking with Jesus enough time at all, or even the very first day because you've already seen him save you, can look back and get enough remembrance to look forward with confidence. So we touched on that a lot last week. I'm not going to do that again, but that's a moment of faith, a moment of faith. This miracle involved a moment of faith. She says, particularly, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So the next moment, you have a, a miracle begins with a problem. There's a moment of faith that keeps it moving. And then the next moment, I think, is super significant. We'll call it a moment of obedience. Look, Jesus turned the water into wine. But they had to fill the jars up first. This is part of the miracle. So when does the miracle and the supernatural manifestation of God's glory, when he does something we can't do, show up? When does that get in motion? When does that start to process and really move? It starts upon their act of obedience. When does the miracle really begin? It begins before they see the solution. It begins by their act of obedience. That's where it starts. The supernatural power of God starts on the ordinary obedience of people. They had to fill the jars first. This was their job. Write this down. Uh, it's, an often, it's often an act of ordinary obedience, hear me, that unleashes omnipotence. I added this later. It's not on the screen. We had to, it's ordinary obedience that unleashes omnipotence. Ordinary obedience, fill the jar up with water that unleashes omnipotence, the power of God to turn water into wine. When does the miracle really begin to be set in motion? It begins with an act of obedience. Do whatever he tells you to do, they say. Just fill the jar with water. 
Just fill the jar with water. This is it. Just fill the jar with water. Fill the jar. God will reveal his glory. This is the, the point here of the text, right? One of the points is say, you fill the jar, God will reveal his glory. You put water in the jar, God will turn it into wine. You take one step of obedience in faith, and God will do what you cannot do. You fill the jar, God will reveal his glory. Just fill the jar with water. Maybe for some of you, this is something God's been telling you to do. And simply, part of the message for you today is do whatever he tells you to do. Just like Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. Take that step that he's been calling you to in your home, in your family, at school, at work. Take the step, fill the jar with water. It isn't your job to turn water into wine. It's your job to fill the jar with water. I think so often we swap these out, and this is why we get anxious and upset and nervous and afraid, feel insecure, is because we think it's our job to do the amazing thing. It's our job to change the heart, our job to change the circumstance, our job to fix the problem, our job, our job, our job. And Jesus says, no, your job is the simplest job of all. It's to fill the jar with water. And some of you now, you're looking at your problems in life, you're looking at things, and you're saying, man, that mountain's too big, that problem is too great, or I am unable. You're on the other side. Instead of feeling too, you're saying, I am unable, I feel insecure, I'm looking at this, I don't know how to fix it, I don't know what to do. You're paralyzed by that because you know you can't overcome the issue in front of you, and Jesus wants to come and relieve that burden to say, Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus is the one who turns water into wine. Jesus is the one who changes hearts and transforms lives and cities. You're the one who fills the jar with water. You're the one who fills the jar with water. Just fill the jar with water. Do the next thing you can do. Take the simple step of obedience. You're not the miracle worker. You're not God. You don't have to do the things that God can do. Only God can do those things, and he wants to do it. But the catalyst and the thing that God responds to is that initial act of obedience. And so for you to begin to see the changes you want to see, the supernatural changes you want to see in your home, in your family, in your community, in your own heart, sometimes what we miss is that initial act of obedience that kickstarts the process. To say, we're waiting on God to show up, and God's waiting on you to start, to do something. Fill the jar with water. Fill the jar with water. So the first thing they had to do was just fill the jar. The next thing they had to do was deliver the wine. Look at this. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast in verse 8. So they took it. I have so many questions about this. I'm like so curious how this goes down. Did they taste it first? Right? I mean, they're, they're taking some sort of risk here. Did it look like wine now? Or was it one of those things where like Jesus is filled up with wine and just take it? You're like, this is water, bro. You know, like, oh, did they get to taste it? What, what was the circumstance happening there? What are they thinking? What are they doing? What's happening? But what I do know is, once again, their job was to fill the, the jar with water and to deliver the goods. It's God's job to make good on the product. It's God's job to make good on the promise. It's God's job to show up, right? So I have words, they come out, and they deliver something I call good news, which is the gospel, but I can't do anything about it. I'm just delivering the water. It's God's job to show up and turn that good news into saving power. 
This is what he does. I show up, right, and I, I just simply try to be kind at home, and I try to do the things I want to I do my part when I'm in my home to create an environment. And God shows up, and he begins to change the hearts of those in my house. I show up, right, and I love my coworkers, and I do the very simple things I can do. And God shows up, and he changes lives. This is what God does. This is what God does. But we have to have the faith, you hear me, to deliver the goods without seeing the promise fulfilled yet. You have to have the faith. You have to take that step of obedience in your own life to deliver the goods, to deliver what God has asked you to deliver, and to trust that on that delivery, God will make good on his promise. It might not look like you think it should. It might not look like water to wine right away, but it will deliver the very thing for which God sends it. This is so important when you think about ministry. I love this book. It's called On On Being a Servant of God by Warren Wiersbe. He says this, we are distributors, not manufacturers of God's work. Distributors. Distributors. I'm a deliverer of God's work. God's the one who does the miracle. You know this is how the feeding of the 5,000 works, right? A little boy brings five loaves and two fish. And it would seem like piece by piece it keeps expanding once Jesus does that. And they have some baskets. They take it out, right? They're not carrying ten baskets at once. You come back, you get another basket. Oh, there's more there. <laughs> and, you come. and now the disciples' job is simply to, to pick it up and to deliver. Fill the basket with food that Jesus manufactured and deliver it to the people. And so when you think about your own life, when you think about our job here in this city, when you think about what does it look like for us to do ministry together, what does it look like for us to impact the city, that's what it is. We are the distributors, just the deliverers, not the manufacturers of what God wants to do. Which should give you a ton, prayerfully, of relief to say, I still have a lot of things I'm called to and I need to be obedient. And you should feel that and sense that responsibility. At the same level, your job job is just to fill the jar and deliver the water. And you let God do the work. The last moment we see here is a moment I would call a moment of manifestation. Look in verse 11, a moment of manifestation. It says in verse 11 that he manifested his glory. I've been thinking a lot about the fact that he was already there. Jesus was already there. He was hanging out. He was present. He could be seen, touched, talked to. Jesus was there. But his glory was hidden. His glory was secret. His glory was unseen. And then Jesus shows up. He does something. And out of all these moments, a problem, faith, an act of obedience, now Jesus uses all these moments to create a manifestation of his glory. And the response in verse 11 is that his disciples believed him. That people got saved in that moment. They're trusting in Jesus. They're believing who he is. Jesus manifests himself. This is what we prayed this morning. I want you to think about this is what we want. When we say we want God's presence here, we want God to manifest his glory. We want God to reveal himself clearly in a life-changing, life-transforming, city-changing, world-changing kind of way. This is what we're after is for Jesus to be manifest, manifest in my home. The power and love of Jesus to be manifest, to be known, to be seen, to be worshipped. Manifest in this building, manifest in our neighborhood, manifest in our schools and in our cities. This is what we're after, that Jesus would be manifest, that he would reveal his glory and that lives would be changed. 
This is what we want to do, and this is what we are asking Jesus to do, and this is what you can expect as one of the moments of the miracle is that when Jesus does supernatural, amazing things, it's ultimately not for you. This was not for the party. This was not about wine. This was about the revelation of Jesus, right? And so one of the most important things we need to understand is that when God does work in ways that are like mind-blowing in our lives, when he transforms hearts and all that, the reason is to reveal himself through your life. And this all started with a problem Now, before the fill the jar was on my mind, I also had another phrase in my head for the last few weeks. It was called fill the city. I'd been thinking about this a lot. We talked about this from Acts in the very beginning, like in our core meetings last summer. What does it look like to fill the city? And these things are going to go hand in hand because I'm going to want you to see that not only in your personal life you fill the jar with water and God does the supernatural in your heart and in your home, But as we each fill our jars and do what God has called each of us to do in our neighborhood, in our workspace, in our family, wherever, then God uses all of that to fill the city with his teaching and to transform an entire city. Look at Acts 5.28. We strictly charged you, they said, not to teach in his name, but get this, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Oh, I love that verse. I love that verse. I want to be accused of filling false church with the teaching of Jesus. I want to be accused of that. You guys are everywhere, and all you talk about is Jesus. That's what I want people walking here mad and being like, man, you guys are everywhere, and all you talk about is Jesus. Everywhere I go, I meet somebody from City Light, and what do they do? They talk to me about Jesus. For the city to be filled with the teaching of Jesus to such an extreme way that everybody recognizes it, and they accuse us of that very thing. Look in uh, Acts 19.10. This continued for two years. Get this. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul's doing ministry right now in the hall of Tyrannus, as you'll read throughout the scriptures. This is right before a big riot breaks out against him. But as Paul's doing ministry and sharing the word, what happens is all the residents of Asia, which they estimate to be between 12 and 13 million people, hear the word of the Lord. Man, this is like, this drives me to say yes. Like the point is not just to run church or to impact. The point is that from this place, every household, every business owner, every student, all of these people, because City Light was here, would hear the word of the Lord. That we, hear me, would deliver it to them. And that God would turn water into wine. That God would turn brokenness into restoration. That God would turn the lost into the found. That God would do the kinds of things we want him to do. That God would take schools that are given over to difficulty and immorality and all the struggles and that he would redeem those places and that they would be given to his glory. That God would turn water into wine as we deliver the message. This is what we are after together, to fill the city with the teaching of Jesus. We've said this before, saturation leads to transformation. You should live your life by this principle, and so do we as City Light to think about, man, saturation is what's going to lead to transformation. We cannot generalize our work. We cannot generalize our efforts. We have to be specific, and we have to each join together, fill our jars, and saturate every place we can. Saturate every school. Saturate every neighborhood. Saturate every family. Saturate every workspace. Saturate every business. Saturate, saturate, saturate with the gospel because that focused effort and saturation is going to lead to transformation in the city. As we keep filling our jars up with water, Jesus will do the work of changing them into wine and doing something supernatural in your life and around your life in this church and in this city.
Write this down. When we fill the city with the teaching of Jesus, we will light up the city with the power of Jesus. Once again, this requires a faith in God to do something supernatural. To say, I'm not just running an hour, I'm not just serving, I'm not, I'm not just doing anything as I share the gospel, serve our neighbors, as I do anything. I am delivering something that God can use supernaturally. I have to believe that. We have to believe that. This is what God wants us to do, is to really legitimately, no exaggeration, no hyperbole, to fill the city, to saturate Falls Church and in these, to saturate these areas, particularly right here in Falls Church, to saturate these areas with the gospel, to fill the city with the teaching of Jesus. As Acts 17 says there, they accuse the disciples of turning the world upside down, to flip everything upside down, to light up the city with the power of Jesus. And hear me, this is going to start, you gotta hear this, with each one of us filling our jars with water. This does not happen from the stage. This does not happen from one big outreach event. This does not happen any of those ways. This happens when a group of people show up every day to fill their jar with water, to do what God has asked them to do, to take that initial step of obedience, to deliver whatever God wants you to deliver to those around you, little by little, as we do that, the moments begin to happen. You hear me? The reason why we get so discouraged is because we don't realize the moments of the miracle, and we just want the miracle, but we're stuck in the moment over here, and God said, if you just had perspective to know that this moment, this conversation, this act, this moment in time is a part of this process in which God's going to do something supernatural, right? That, com that moment is significant. Why? Because it's part of a process in which God is doing something supernatural, and your whole life is like this. It's filled with these moments. What we're doing at City Light is filled with these moments, the big moments that we love, that we celebrate, that we make videos about, that we, that we get on stage and talk about, and everybody says, woo! All of those moments started with smaller ones. They didn't just happen. And every moment of your life, though it may feel small, it's a part of something big that God is doing. So this is what we are here to do to pursue opportunities for each of us to fill the jar. Now, when I think about this idea of filling the jar with water, that God would reveal his glory, I think about as well within City Light, the way we do that through, through multiplying our work, right? So a new lighthouse is a new jar for God to do something, turn water into wine. That's why it's so important. As you make a disciple, now you got another person that's filling their jars. God can turn water into wine. What does that happen? It multiplies. It spreads out. And now you have more jars being filled with water, more people taking initial acts of obedience, more people confronting problems with supernatural faith. And now God begins to do more work, more supernatural things to turn water into wine. So this is why here at City Light so far, uh, we have Ciudad Luz, which is the Spanish expression of City Light Church, so that the jar can be filled with water in Spanish, so that people can see to hear them hear the gospel, and so that Jesus can turn water into wine. We have now the Lao gathering, where they speak Lao and Thai, and so we have people downstairs at 1030, now every Sunday, delivering the gospel in Lao and in Thai. That's another jar with water, so Jesus can fill water into wine. 
This is what we want to do. This is the only way the difference gets made. And so as we think about this, we also think, as we've been talking about at the beginning, about different places. How can we put more places? How can we put more jars throughout the city? How can we spread this out? Because if we're being realistic, right, we can't really reach the world out there from right here. We got to multiply. We got to multiply in discipleship. We got to multiply in our personal lives. We got to multiply in our lighthouses. And as we said from the beginning, we got to multiply in our churches. And so I want to share something exciting with you that we are praying through uh, and something that we see the Lord might be doing in our congregation. So as many of you know, uh, Dale Sutherland has been serving as the interim pastor at a church called Veritas City Church in D.C. And so we started the City Light Collective, as we explained a few weeks ago, and that just gave the framework to begin to support local churches, to steward what God is doing in us that others may be blessed by it. So we've been sharing resources with them, finances, leadership. Obviously, with Dale being over there, he's still a pastor here, but he's sharing time with them. Uh, we've given them money. We've just partnered together in some outreach efforts to see if we could serve the city together. So as we've been doing that, we've all been praying. They've been praying about what does it look like for this church to take the next step in their season of life? How do they overcome their current challenges so that they can see God turn water into wine so they can fill more jars? And recently, the leadership of that church came to the leadership of this church, and they asked if they could become a part of City Light. So they come over here and they say, hey, can we become a part of City Light Church? We love what God is doing among you, and I think it would be healthy for us to be a part of what God is doing through City Light. And so we began to pray and think through that, and they went ahead and asked their congregation just to, be, just to go ahead and get it out there to say, hey, guys, uh, what would it look like for us to become a part of City Light Church? What do you guys think? And their congregation unanimously agreed on it, on the, on the idea at least, and unanimously agreed on it. Let me tell you something, Okay. You might have a lot of thoughts in your head right now. Let me, let me encourage you with something. Let me tell you. You know God is doing something significant in you and other people want to be a part of it. This is the most encouraging thing, one of the most encouraging things I have seen and heard is to say, obviously, there's a lot to figure out. Right? There's a lot to figure out. But God is doing something so significant through you and through you filling your jar and through this church because of your involvement that other people look at that and say, that's something I want to be a part of. Something that God is doing there can revive this work. Something that God is doing there can do something throughout the city. And so my heart has been so encouraged that that would even be the case. And so obviously as we're thinking through what does it mean to have a city like church in D.C., how would that work? Obviously there's a lot of things to work out. Uh, and we just once again, we, our two core values, or seven of them, but two of them are important here. The second one is that we are dependent on prayer. And the fourth one is that we, are, uh, follow, we follow the Spirit. We're surrendered to the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. That's the word. We're led by the Spirit. And so as we consider, man, what does it look like to have City Lake Church in downtown? What does it look like to have City Lake Church, particularly right there in Georgetown? What does it look like to have City Lake Church down there? We want to pray and ask for the Lord's wisdom and discernment. So we want to do that as a congregation together so we don't move forward apart from seeking the face of God and asking for his wisdom, supernatural wisdom. And so I want to invite you guys all, October 21st at 7 p.m., the address is on, on the screen. They have a location right there in Georgetown, and we've just simply asked that we would come together and pray. So October 21st, 7 p.m., if you're able to make it, we will come together and pray. 
We might be able to make a private YouTube link. It shouldn't be public, but we want to do that uh, together so that you can join us maybe live stream. But October 21st, 7 p.m., we want you to come join us as we just pray and we seek God's will to say, man, Lord, we want you to be known. We've talked from the beginning about multiplying churches. What does that look like? Well, the Lord has brought an opportunity here, and God's doing so many significant things among you that other people want to be a part of it. So as we pursue the next steps, we not only consider, obviously, the logistical plans and how do you execute something like that, but most importantly, I've been telling from the beginning, any conversation I've had with anybody about it, the question for me has been, is the Lord in it? That's it. You know how Moses did in Exodus 33? I'm not going if you don't go. And the Lord was like, at first the Lord was like, I'm not going to go because I'm going to kill all y'all because I'm sick of you. And he's like, I'm going to send an angel and bless you, though. You'll still go to the promised land. So Moses could have had the promised land without God. You know what Moses said? Nope. Nope. I'm not going if you don't go. I don't care what's on the other side. And so that's really been, as your pastor, that's been my heart. It's just, Lord, if you're in it, I'll do anything. You name it. Whatever. I'll do it if you're in it. And so that's why we're praying and seeking the Lord to say, Lord, are you in this? Are you moving forward this way? So October 21st, 7 p.m., please join us uh, just to pray and to seek the Lord together as a congregation to see what the Lord would have next. And obviously from that point, we'll begin to discern and know more about what this looks like for us. So let me, let me encourage you with something as we close this out. You guys do realize that this church started a year ago. Everybody knows that, September 15th, 2019. So far, we did this a couple weeks ago through our one-year celebration, but within a year, right, we've been able to impact all these families. There's a city light expression in Spanish. There's a city light expression in Lao. There's obviously a city light expression in English here in Falls Church, and now potentially there will be a city light DC, and who knows what's beyond, and it happened a year ago. If you don't see it, Jesus is turning some water into wine. You see what I'm saying? Come on. Jesus is turning water into wine. He's turning water into wine. And none of us smart enough for that to happen. My preaching is not good enough for that. None of that. Jesus is taking water. We're like, Lord, this is what I got. I got two fish and five loaves. This is what I bring to the table. He's like, thank you very much. That's all I need. Boom, I'm going to feed 15,000 people. You know? And so I want to encourage you, like, from the bottom of my heart, that your involvement in what God is doing here, no matter what the role is or what it looks like or how you feel about it, that it's significant because it's creating these moments for God to do the supernatural. It's creating these moments that God says, whoa, I'm going I'm to expand this work. I'm going to expand your family. It's creating these moments for God to see souls saved and lives transformed. And it's creating these moments in your home and in your family. And for you to continue to bring your jar of water, for us to keep bringing our jar of water, God's going to do the supernatural. He's going to meet us, and he's going to work and do things that we can never imagine. And just think, if God did all this in one year, what could he do in ten? How much water is he going to turn into wine in 20? What does it look like to be a part of what God is doing with every moment? I tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm so excited. And just like in the beginning, like the story with Tony, just being a part of every moment and watching God work and just surrender to his will. And if we keep doing that, if we keep giving ourselves to every moment, then God's going to keep doing the miracles. And I want you to apply this principle in your heart. I want you to apply this principle in your home. I want you to apply this principle in your life at church and in your workplace and in all the places around you that if you keep giving yourself to every moment and keep filling your jar with water and delivering the goods, God will do the supernatural. Because Jesus is the one who turns water into wine. Amen? Amen. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you.
God, we're just honored to be a part of your work, Lord. What can we say? What is man that you are mindful of him? What are you that what are we that we would that you would take our little offerings and multiply them? Like what are what are we that you would use us to do anything helpful in the world? Like what are we, Lord? And we just thank you that you're the God who turns water into wine. We thank you that you're the God who saves, that you're the God who transforms, that you're the God who does things we cannot do. I pray that you would encourage your people this morning, that you would lift the burdens of their problems, that you would remind us that every miracle starts with a problem, and that you would help us, Lord, navigate our circumstances with faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us move forward, God, that this city, Lord, please, that this city would truly be filled with the teaching of Jesus that this city would be filled with the influence of the gospel, that every student and every neighbor and every business owner and every person represented around here would hear the good news. This is what we are after, Lord. Would you take our water, keep turning it into wine, Lord, because we got nothing but water. You're the winemaker, Lord. We're trusting you for that with our homes. We're trusting you for that with our hearts. We're trusting you for that with our communities and with our cities and with the world. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just stand up and worship a God who turns water into wine.